Well, once again, a very good morning, and it's uh, good to be with you this morning. If you'd like to follow along as we continue our study of, of Jesus' particular relational habits and what we can learn from them as he reveals his excellency, his, his wonder, right? In Epiphany, this time between Christmas and the beginning of, of Lent, we see Jesus' glory, his, his excellence, his amazingness, and you can look at all kinds of different aspects of that. You can look at his miracles and how he helps people. You can look at his teaching. One of the things you can look at is how he relates to people, how he, how he connects to people. He connects to us and to others, and that's what we're doing. Um, and so if you want to follow along, yeah, there's some, some notes there in the service folder on page, I think that's page 8 if you'd like to, page 7 and 8, uh, and you could do that. Or you can open up your own Bibles if you'd like, and we're in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, that's on page 785 if you've got this white Bible there. So let's uh, hear God's word with a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning. Please keep me, your servant, from uh, keep hearing from standing in the way of your people hearing your word. Uh, let, let the words that I proclaim show them the grace of God clearly, that they might know you and love you and, uh, and love the people around them as you would have them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, there, there's some sayings, there's some things that people say to me, uh, and it's just part of life. I mean, I, I don't really blame them. P- things that people say to me that I really don't like, um, so uh, sometimes people will say to me, you don't seem to care about these people, whoever they are. Uh, you don't care about those people. Um, or, or they say to me, you know, words matter. You don't seem to pay attention to your words. You're not picking your words very carefully. You're, you just say whatever you want. Um, or, or they'll say to me, you know, doctrine matters, truth matters, principles matter, beliefs matter. And, and you don't seem to care about doctrine and truth. You just, right, just talk at us. And when people say that to me, I don't, I mean, I might, I might get a little angry, but the, the strongest response I have to that is regret. I, I'm filled with, with all kinds of regret because I've come to the conclusion, and I'm not sure if it's the best conclusion or I want or not, but um, I can blame you for making assumptions about me. Uh, I can yell at you to stop expecting things of me, but eventually... I'm responsible for my behavior. I'm responsible to communicate to you the ideas and the the truths and the values that are important to me. And I'm not going to waste my time all of my life beating you over the head, trying to get you to think the right thing about me. I'm just going to assume, I'm going to take the responsibility for communicating what I want to you. I I really, when when I hear unclear expectations back from people, when I hear assumptions that I wish weren't the case, uh, when the story of your story of my life is not what I want to hear, that gives me a lot of regret. Uh, And what about you? Does that ever happen to you? I I think it happens all the time. I mean, just take the simple example. You call your kid. You call your kid. You say, hi, kid. How are you today? What you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. Your kid says to you, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. I'll call you back later. And, uh, and then your kid never calls you back. And they don't call you back that day. They don't call you back the next day. What do you do? You, you start to make assumptions or you have a, a story that creates in your head. You start to say to yourself, well, maybe they don't like me. Maybe they don't want to talk to me. Have I turned into that kind of whiny, needy parent? Ooh, that would be terrible. I hope I'm not that whiny, needy parent now. 
Um, and, and, and you know that, in, in your mind, you also imagine what, you're, uh, what, what you could be saying, you know, my kid's not responsible anymore. These, these kids these days, right? They just, they don't ever do what they say they're going to do anymore. Um, what happened to my kid? They used to be so responsible and, and dutiful. Or my kid used to be such a caring person. They would always connect with people and love people, and now that's not the case anymore. Right? So we make up all of these, these stories in our minds, and you have to have these stories to explain other people's behaviors. These are just the way that assumptions and expectations work. And you can get angry at other people. You can fight about it all the time. But in the, in the end, there's a principle today that Jesus is teaching us and, and that the Bible would have us know. And it's really this, that although the Eighth Commandment says take your neighbor's actions in the best possible way, who you are to other people is based on what you do. So I can tell you until I'm blue in the face, I am a loving person. But if I'm screaming at you, I really love you, you're not going to believe me, will you? Who you are to somebody else, how somebody else interprets you, is based on what you do, not what you say to them. And if you want to change the assumptions and the expectations and the story that other people tell about you, then you have to change the way you act. I, I fear, one of my greatest fears in life is I fear that I'm going to die and you're all going to be sitting around at my funeral and you're going to be talking about me and you're going to say, man, that guy, you know, he was just like this. And I'm like, no, that wasn't me at all. It, it, wouldn't that be an awful thing? If you spent your whole life communicating to the people around you the exact opposite of what you actually wanted them to think of you, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? And today, Jesus invites us to discover uh, real relational clarity. He says to us, you know, you want to communicate to people the assumptions that you actually want them to have about you, the expectations that you want them to have about you. You, you want them to have the story of, of you in your mind that you, in their mind that you really want. Let's get to that then. Let, let's do that. Let's work on changing our lives so that they think about us what we really want. And, and he says we, we want to take a look at two things, just who we can be and what we do. Who we can be and what we do. And we're going to do that today in Matthew chapter 4 here. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, and he is, he's, he's setting out to, to this city called Capernaum. Kind of a cool place, huh? Doesn't it look beautiful? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to go and sit at that uh, scenic seaside place? And, uh, and you've got the mountains all around there. It's just a, a gorgeous place. It's not really, well, they call it the Sea of Galilee. It's a little more than a pond, but you can hardly call it a lake. Um, I mean, maybe it's bigger than some of the, the Michigan lakes, but you know, uh, it's, it's not really a sea at all. So there's, this is the city of Capernaum. But what's really interesting about it is that Jesus picked this place for his ministry. Because you probably noticed in the lesson that it said that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Jesus very intentionally chose Capernaum and this, this area around the lake for his ministry. You know, he could have gone to Jerusalem. He could have stayed in Judah where the people were, were fairly good, religious, 
where the social expectations and the community expectations were all clear of each other. But instead, he went to this region around the, the, the lake of the sea or the lake of Galilee. And this was a really interesting part of the ancient Israel area. Uh, there had been numerous groups of people that had immigrated to this location over the last couple hundred years. Uh, and so it was very ethnically mixed, ethnically diverse. Uh, and with these, each wave of immigrant, they brought in their own religion, so that was very religiously diverse. And then about a, 150 years before Jesus, there had been this forced adoption of the Greek language as their primary language, and with that language came the Greek culture. So on the top of all of this ethnic diversity and religious diversity was this facade or this covering of a, of a homogeneous culture. It was a, you know, let's fake it all and make it look like we all get along together and we can all, you know, play nicely together. Um, but underneath, there's this deep subculture of, of lots of confusion, lots of conflict, lots of, of relational and emotional strife. This had always been a region that the, the Judean or the Israelite people had struggled to live with. Um, you know, when, when, Jake, uh, when the Israelite army moved into this country, they were supposed to drive out all of the other peoples in the land so that it could be their land. And they had never done that here. They had always tried to mix with the local population and play nice, but it, it never worked out. Um, the, the, the situation got so bad here that when Jesus goes to this country, first of all, there's, there's demons all over the place. Um, this is a very superstitious area of, of Israel. They practice witchcraft and, and other things here. Uh, not, not necessarily you know, Jesus and his friends, but a lot of other people do. Uh, and as far as ruling or running the country, running the area, there's a king over it. But the king is down in Jerusalem, and so the king has actually put basically militia or military law in place. That the ruler, the local ruler, is a, a Gentile centurion. He's pulled in a centurion out of the Roman army and said, you're in charge here. Now, so Jesus is going, picking intentionally for his home base of his ministry, a place that is living in a, a relational haze, a relational fog, uh, is religiously challenging. And it must have been hard. It's a prime example of, of pluralism. You've probably heard of, of talking of pluralism because we live in a very pluralistic society where people of lots of different ethnicities have to learn how to relate to one another. There is lots of confusion about expectations. And then, you know, have you ever, I mean, just to take one example, right, have you ever showed up for a meeting 15 minutes early, only to find out that everybody else believes that the meeting doesn't have to start till five minutes late, and you figure out, oh, that's because we all have different opinions about what time is. Uh, that's a, a, a really easy example of what kind of an expectation happens because of different cultural backgrounds. And Jesus is walking into a, a world that's full of this stuff, that's, that's everywhere. And then on top of that, they have this religious pluralism, so everybody is practicing their own religion in their own way. You've got a situation, Jesus has a situation, he's going into a world that doesn't at all match the perfection 
of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. You know, there we see a perfect relationship between God and humanity. And we see a perfect relationship amongst human beings. They, they relate to one another wonderfully. Here, we see something so much more like, like what you and I experience. You know, we're, we're miserable, often, and we're constantly living in this, this emotional or this relational fog where we're thinking to ourselves, well, why didn't that person call me back? Do they not like me anymore? Did I do the right thing there? Or, or what about there? Did I do the right thing there? Maybe, maybe I offended them. Maybe, why are they treating me like this? Am I treating them the right way? And we're so, like these Canaanites, so self-absorbed, so self-filled in our own world that we're sometimes downright miserable. Why do we have wars? Why do we have conflict? Why do we have family disintegration? Why do we have relationships collapsing all the time? You don't need to have me answer that question. you got Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 4. What does Jesus say the answer is in Matthew chapter 4? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a crucial answer. This is, this is how we begin to get at the gospel. Jesus doesn't come to people and tell them, you're all right, everything you do is good, and God loves you no matter what. But neither does Jesus come to them and tell them, you're a mess and there's no hope for you. The message Jesus tells them is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And these are both the strongest and the sweetest words that you could ever share with somebody. You know, it, it starts with repent, which is Jesus' way of saying, look, you're the problem. You know, you're, you're the problem. I was sitting in a, a meeting with the... Um, the school superintendent the other day, and he was telling me about some of the challenges that the district is, is facing as far as the kids, you know, traumatized kids from very bad or difficult backgrounds, uh, abuse, uh, hunger, poverty, all of these things that they're experiencing. And somebody in the room piped up and said, man, people just don't do a good job anymore raising kids, doing the right thing. And, and somebody else cut that person off and said, you know what, we're sorry that we've messed up and then that we've created this situation and, and we haven't done the right thing. Just think about it for a second. Who's the source of, of, of your problems? You can basically blame everybody else, you can blame the system, or you can blame yourself. We've already tried to blame everybody else. Nazi Germany blames the Jews. Um, American slavery blames the blacks or the African-Americans. I don't think that worked out too well for us. We've spent the last 60 years blaming the system. The Wall Street movement, break it all down, capitalism, racism, segregation, uh, the patriarchal system. We can blame all of those systems. What's left? There's only one person left to blame. But that's why the, the words that Jesus follows up when he says the kingdom of heaven is near, uh, they're some of the sweetest, the most wonderful, the most beautiful words you could possibly say. Because Jesus is saying what made a mess of all of this from the beginning is that, that you made yourself king. You put yourself on the throne and, and, and God is going to make, become king right next to you. You don't have to go and search for a new king, but I'll, I'll come be king right 
with you. And that will be for your good. That will change all of your relationships. This week I, I was um, parenting my children. Good luck with that, right? Um, and there was a time where I, we were trying to get some chores done. And I told one of my kids, I said, come here. Come on, we're going to go do this job. And the kid went and walked the other way. I was like, what are you doing? We're going this way. We're going to do this task. Right? And, I, and, and I, I, so I stopped the kid and I said, so wait, are, what you're doing, is, is, is it more important than what I, I need you to do? You know, is there a fire? Is somebody trying to break into the house? Do you need to call 911? You know, is, is there a thief here? I mean, those would be important things. And if you're doing that, okay, then you go do that because that's more important. I said, no, then, okay, no. You know, then I'm, I'm king here. I'm the Lord of this house, and until you're 18, you're under my rule and my reign. But my reign is for your good. And if you want to experience good relationships with me, with your siblings, uh, with your parents, then, you, then you've got to let me have my word. My word is, is bond. My word is the, the, the ultimate truth. And, and God is saying to you, you know what, you, your messed up relationships, it's because you keep making yourself king in your life. And, and let me help you fix that. I will bring my kingdom down to you. I will be king over your life. And if you let me be king in your life, then you'll see so many things change. You'll see so many things change. And that's the first thing that God wants to say to us there. That only repenters can can really start to see. Only repenters can start to see their relationships change. Only repenters can have this relational clarity to connect with people in, in a better way. And then... Jesus says, all right, let's experience this. Let's make this real. That's who you can be. Who you can be as a repenter. Now, what do you need to do? You follow me. Jesus says, come, follow me. This is an excellent example of making your expectations clear to somebody else so they know what's really important to you. You know, there's research tells us that there are four things that expectations should be if they want to be solid or real or, or good or the term is valid. If you want to have a, an expectation of somebody else, first of all, it needs to be conscious. A lot of us have unconscious expectations. We've never even thought about it, right? So that when somebody says to you, hey, how's it going? And they and then you stop and you actually give them a lecture for 15 minutes on how it's going, they get all t- mad at you and you think to yourself, well, why are you mad at me? Because they unconsciously expect that, hey, how's it going, is just a way to say hello. They've never even thought about anything else. So the first thing is for an, uh, an expectation to be real is it has to be conscious. And maybe you want to write this down. I should have put these up on the screen. But the second thing is that it has to be realistic. Somebody has to actually be able to do it. So you can't have an expectation of somebody else that there's no way in, in you know, a million years that they could ever carry out. Third, the expectation has to be spoken. If you don't ever tell somebody the expectation, there's no way that they can fulfill it. Right? So if you, if you call your kid and you say to your kid, hey, you know, I, I'm happy to talk to you, and your kid says back to you, I would like to, uh, you know, I'll follow back up with you, I'll, I'll give you a call later, your expectation is what? You'll call me today. But if you don't tell your kid that, it's an unspoken expectation, and there's no way that your kid can possibly fulfill that. Uh, and, and number four, then, they have to be agreed upon. You can't expect people to do things if they never actually agree 
to do them. Now, this doesn't count in a hierarchical situation. You know, parents to kids, employer to employees. That's, these four things are, are not true there. But look what Jesus does. Jesus says to his, his, his students, his, these first followers, he, he says, here's my expectation of you. I'm going to speak it to you. Come follow me. We're going to agree to it. They get up and they follow him. That's their proof that they are willing to do it. And I know it doesn't seem very realistic, but it is. Jesus is saying to them, I want you to follow me no matter what you do, no matter what happens to you, no matter which way I go in life or which way I send you. If, you turn, if I turn to the left, I want you to turn to the left. If, if I turn to the right, I want you to turn to the right. And then, no matter what hard things you hit in life, you need to follow me. Don't ever turn to the left if I don't turn to the left. Don't ever turn to the right if, if I don't turn to the right. And if you hit a mountain, you walk through that mountain. If you hit a sea, you go underneath the water and you go through that sea. You don't walk around that sea. That's what I expect of you. You follow me no matter what it comes up in life. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you know the story of, of the princess and the goblin. You guys know the, the, the story of the princess and the goblin? It's a cute uh, kid's story. And in this story, there's a little girl, eight-year-old, whose name is Irene. And she has a fairy grandmother. She'll go up sometimes in the attic to meet with her fairy grandmother. One time, uh, the fairy grandmother's not there all the time, but one time fairy grandmother's up there in the attic, and, and fairy grandmother gives her a ring, and there's a ball of string on the end of this ring. And the fairy grandmother says to her, this ball of string can always lead you home. Always. It can always lead you back to me, no matter what you hit, but you have to follow the ball of string. And, and so she's, Irene is ecstatic. She says, Grandmother, this is best. I feel so safe. I feel so happy. My life is, is good now because I know that I can always get home. And so fairy grandmother says, yes, you put this underneath your pillow, and if something happens, you follow this string home. You can always get home, but you must follow it forward. No matter how roundabout the way is, you follow it. And so, okay. Turns out just a few nights later, some goblins break into the house, break into the castle. And, um, and Irene decides, well, she has the presence of mind to put the ring and the string underneath her pillow, and then she flees the house. And uh, she follows, follows the string. The string takes her right to the goblin's cave. She says, oh no, this is terrible. What am I going to do? I mean, this is the goblin's cave. Why would I go in there? So she breaks down outside and cries. Um, and she says, well, I better follow the string. So she follows the string right into the cave. She gets to a wall in the cave. The string goes through the wall, and now she's sobbing. I can't get to this wall. So she turns around, and she tries to follow the string backwards, go back to where she was. But as soon as she turns around, the string disappears. It's not there anymore. She can't touch it. She can't feel it. It's gone. It's like a magic string. And so she begins, it, it's, it's hard work, it's bloody, she, but one at a time she pulls the stones off the wall, her fingers start to bleed, she's exhausted, and she, she gets finally the rocks down from the wall, and she hears a voice. It's her friend Curdie. Her friend Curdie was, was captured by the goblins months ago, and he's been lost ever since, and she just found her friend. She rescued her, her friend. And her friend Curdie goes to take off out of the cave, and he, and he says, come on, let's go, right? Let's, let's go home. And she says, no, I, I don't want to go forward. It's, it's dark. It's scary. I'm not sure what comes next. But I've realized I must follow the string 
wherever it leads, no matter how hard it is. And isn't that what Jesus says to you and me? He says, go, you must follow me. If you want to have clarity on who you are to me and to everybody else, you must follow me no matter how hard it is. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Follow me. And, and, and that is incredibly hard, isn't it? But Jesus can say that because he followed his own string. He already followed that string. He, he followed that string to a cross. He followed it to a tomb. And he busted out of that tomb on a Sunday morning, on an Easter morning, so that your life is guaranteed and sure. Jesus has followed his string no matter what conflict and hardship he faced. He was willing to follow the Father's lead. And you can be sure that when he says, follow me, no matter what hardship you face, the mountain to go through, the sea to swim through, that he is going to take you through it. He is going to do an amazing thing for you. I, I, I heard just this week this incredible story you know, of, a, of a, a man, a young man, who, who was involved in all kinds of things. And, uh, and then over about five months ago, his, his fiancée, made him sit down and watch about two months' worth of uh, this one preacher's sermon solid. Just, you know, they just sat down like every night instead of watching Netflix and hanging out together. They watched sermons, right? This, his his fiancé made him do this. And he, he, he converted. He, he, he just, he, he, it so changed his heart and his life that he said, I, I believe in Jesus. And, and he, now he said, the only thing I care about in my life is, is following Jesus, is hearing this gospel and knowing it. And the w- way that this, uh, this guy who was telling the story met this other young man was that he was at a conference with a, a 70-year-old preacher on a Friday night listening to teaching on eschatology, end times, reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible, salvation, these, all these huge theological topics. Six months before, the guy, Friday night, all he did was sit in the bar and drink and party with his friends. Six months later, he's followed that thread wherever it goes. And he's sitting on a Friday night listening to a 70-year-old preacher teach the Bible. It's an incredible thing. God will teach, change your life as you follow that thread. That's the, that's the other thing that he wants us to know today, to follow the thread. And that will change the way that we engage with other people, we act with other people. All right, so let's, let's get some clarity here. Let's come to clarity. Let people know who you are, who you really are, and who you can be. It's okay to make your expectations clear. The same guy who wrote this story of the princess and the goblins, he, he said that uh, unless we die to ourselves, we will really die all by ourselves. And and he was really on to something. You're going to die, I'm going to die all alone without people knowing who we really are and who we really care about. Unless we give up ruling our own hearts and our lives. And we let God's kingdom come to us. And, And some of you, you know, that kingdom is pushing into you right now. God is saying to you, hey, look, I want to be the Lord and the King and the ruler of your life. I sent Jesus so that he could do it all for you. He could live in your place and he wants nothing more than to connect with you and to be in your life. Let him in. Come to that clarity. Let's pray for it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us today. 
and that you would lead us as we, we know you as our King and our Lord to clarity in our relationships with everybody else. Let us act in ways that communicates to people clearly who we are, what we care about, what we believe, and why we want to follow you. I pray for this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.